listening to Two Girls, One Podcast, a weekly audio broadcast that both educates and entertains. You might even say it edutains. That has a ring to it. Hey Siri, file a copyright and trademark for the term edutainment. I don't know what that is. And now here are your second favorite podcast hosts. Behind whatever public radio trash plays next in your feed, Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I have a background in performance. We had a live comedy show uh, called Blogologues, where we use the internet as our script. We had a web series after that called Two Girls, One Show, where we met people behind all these internet posts and material and went on scripted adventures with them. And now we're doing this podcast. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, Two Girls, One Podcast in here, what we do, if you're not familiar, is that we look at internet communities and phenomena that we find interesting. And this is all with The Daily Dot and our producer, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hello. We're uh, returning to a topic today, but in a, in a totally different way. Um, but I'm very excited. Um, Allie, do you want to fill them in on what's going on today? Jen, you know that you are my first and foremost girl crush, but I do have a girl crush <laughs> on our guest today, <laughs> oh. who is Damn a it. badass bitch doing some badass work. Who's my competition? Yeah, no, so Bridget Todd is the host of There Are No Girls on the Internet, which is already a fantastic podcast, almost as fantastic as this one. But with her season two, she has decided to release a mini series focused exclusively on disinformation and how essentially we got here to this fucked up place. Um, and by that, it does start with the insurrection. That delightful little coup attempt. Um, so, yeah. And I just think that she is really articulate and intelligent and nuanced in her perspectives. And it's some really valuable information. And also, so much of this goes back to communities, which is the heart of our podcast, although we like to look at the sunny side. But, you know, a lot yeah. of this dis disinformation is spreading in communities. It's also targeting specific communities. So there's a lot to dive into. And I feel like we keep coming back to what can we do about this every day? People, what can tech companies Companies do about this, but Bridget actually has some. Real, she has some great thoughts about it. You know, not actually. She does have great thoughts about it because in the, it, she's really digging into this in the disinformed and uh, talking with experts in this realm and and getting into like the brass tacks of what can be done. So we've been edging towards that. I feel like in these discussions, and I'm happy that today we're going to have. I, I think some, she has some great ideas. So a lot to look forward to. Hold on to your hats, folks. Matt, also, how are you doing, Matt? What's going on over there? I'm good. I'm just just, just uh, scrolling Twitter here. Cool story. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> yeah. Just looking at are some conspiracy theories. Honestly, yeah, yeah, I like, just... can't even go on Twitter anymore. I know yeah, we've talked bad. like I should be better at Twitter because like that's where things are happening. But like I go on there and it's just like pff, conspiracy theory. You know, that's the sound it makes. Are you really seeing that much of it? Yeah, I mean, it's like I went on. Yeah, I went on the other day, and it was like hashtag Alexandria Ocasio Smollett, which is the mm. whole idea that AOC wasn't even there and she's lying, which is so fucking bananas. 
who uh, who looks at at Twitter's trending topics? I, th- I do. I think the, okay, is that I'm where sure I'm going wrong? Pe- uh, maybe I, I'm sure you're not alone. You're certainly I mean, it's not like alone. They're but- on the homepage. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to get value out of Twitter, it's like, I'm going to follow really smart, interesting, funny people, and I'm going to look at that content and interact with it and then close it. I'm not going to see, like, what's happening in the world. But then it's like, I'm going to be part of the echo chamber? Like, I don't know. It's so confusing. I I know. Mm. What do you want out of a platform like Twitter? Do you want to have some lulls with smart people or do you want to, like, look at the world burn? I I don't know. I want to burn it all to the ground. Is that wrong? Yeah. I want to burn no. it all. But that's kind of what they tried to do. So maybe that didn't mm. sound right at all. But like, mm-hmm. I really just think we should start over with the internet. Just start <laughs> over. It's <laughs> <laughs> making me sad. Uh, don't be sad. Don't be sad. We're about to get some good Thanks. ideas. Like I said, that's true. That's true. We need some good ideas from a badass bitch. I think by the end of this episode, we will have solved it, and the internet will be fixed. Oh, uh, maybe like well, another we should week get started then. Because yeah, we should yeah. get to it. Nope, gotta do trivia first. It's <laughs> the law. It. Honestly, if more of our listeners would call us, I wouldn't have to do trivia. So call That's us. That true. number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. You better insert that number. I know oh, yeah. you better do that, Matt. Oh, yeah. As discussed on this show, we have seen how... A lot of disinformation on the internet leads to, everyone say it with me, Nazis. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) But today's trivia is about disinformation that actually helped to fight against Nazis during a little-known 20th century conflict that I like to call World War II. Cool. <laughs> but what does everyone share. else call it? <laughs> I don't know. The That's just Holocaust. my pet name. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I am going to share three quick stories about disinformation used for good spread by the British government during World War II. And these, this misinformation, this propaganda spread by the British government has actually led to common misconceptions to this day. Two of these are made up, okay? Complete fabrications from my brain. One of them is true. So which, which disinformation is, is not true? Which, dis, which false information <laughs> is factually true? Are you with me? Which one is... I'm so confused right now. Okay, you're going to tell us three pieces of disinformation and only one of them was the one that was actually used? Yeah. Okay, Basically, it. which of these little stories is a true story for, for lack of a better uh, got it. Okay. Uh, way? All right. A, British businesses are not actually required to accept legal tender. This is a common misconception. Uh, regardless of the currency's national origin, this was propaganda floated by the British government in an effort to deflate the Reichsmark, perhaps I'm saying that correctly, uh, which was the German currency used to fund the war effort. That is choice A. Hmm. Choice B, eating carrots does not improve your vision. The British just claimed that their Air Force pilots were so good at shooting down Nazis at night due to a healthy carrot diet. That was because they were hiding the truth a top-secret radar system which gave British pilots a huge advantage. That is choice B. C. Humans do not use 10% of their brains. This myth 
was perpetuated by the British government to embolden military research and development efforts, a fabricated psychological study falsely showed that while most humans use 10% of their brains, citizens of the allied powers, you know, uh, the West and the US and British, uh, Britain and all that, uh, they used 28% of their brains on average, which proved, of course, that their side was fighting for the right side of the war. What the which fuck of is these wrong with you, Matthew? Myths <laughs> is real, really happened. Really happened. But is, all, but is also false. Also I'm going to go with A. Okay. I, see, I want to diversify, but I can't. I can't so- sully my reputation and pick B or C, so <laughs> I'm going to go with A as well. Wait, you always pick A? No, 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 no. I'm saying that the other two are so ridiculous Okay. <laughs> that I would look ridiculous if I chose. Yeah, <laughs> you would so, never be caught dead. I'd never be caught dead choosing B or C. I'm going to go with A. <laughs> All right. Two for choice A, that the, the common myth that a business must accept currency uh, that is not true. That was just uh, fabricated to, to deflate the, the Reichsmark in the 40s. Yes. Okay. We will find out the correct true false disinformation after this commercial break. We have an important piece of real news. Real fucking breaking. news. Breaking. Um, we tell you every week, but it's breaking this week too. That I'm sorry, pause. Did Matt just start to voice a breaking news sound effect no that's not my voice that was um that's a real uh, sound effect yeah honestly that was beautiful i paid 25 dollars for that sound effect okay that recreates all sound effects on his own yeah (laughs) including our voices (laughs) i love i used to have this voice teacher that would like recreate like an entire band (laughs) (laughs) okay well now that we've gotten seriously off track (laughs) let's bring it back Breaking news, we would love to thank for donating to our Patreon at the $10 level or more. Chris Harrison. Jerry Duran. Jessica Box. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. Deborah Dubapratz. Gabby Phillips. William. And Matthew Scott. You're all upstanding citizens doing wonderful things, and we thank you. Um, and for the rest of you, if you would like to donate to our Patreon, Ellie, where do they go? Patreon.com slash 2G1P. Yours is better. And now a real post entitled I Found a Can of Beans from everyone's favorite lost and found bin, nextdoor.com, courtesy of Best of Next Door. I found a can of beans. They are the Bushes brand, Bushes best to be exact. They were found on Marion Place last night. If you lost a can of beans, tell me what kind flavor they are and you can come pick them up from me. I really can't keep them. I have too many beans already. They sold out at Trader Joe's last It's been almost a year in quarantine You know what I mean? Beans are, they've been kind of A hot commodity this year. They're a good apocalypse Food. Yeah. I'm surprised He doesn't want to keep them, but I guess it makes sense He already has too much already. Probably already stocked yeah. up Do you think people buy dried beans anymore Or is it like a strictly can market? Mmm It's a really good question 
You know what? In the age longer. of Instapot, anything is possible. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I do need an Instapot. Do you Instapot, Jen? Because we mm. just got one recently and it's it's pretty good. Riveting stuff, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do not Instapot, but I, I'd be curious to hear more off air. Um, also, do you guys remember, did your grandparents, when you were growing up, have like in their basement, like a room full of canned goods? <laughs> was that a thing? No. I mean, it was definitely oh, yeah. for like... If there was an, a bomb, if a nuclear bomb yes. came, we would all go to the basement and eat the beans. Yeah, yes. which never, obviously I, I, never happened. I don't recall that specifically in my family, but that is certainly a generational, like, oh, the yeah. nukes could come at any time, stock the basement kind of thing. Yes, yeah. Ate a lot of canned food growing up, which might explain a lot about me and my crazy <laughs> brain. <laughs> well, so what's going on with this trivia, Matt? We got some disinformation for good, okay? I know disinformation gets a bad rap. Oh, yeah, people are not informed. Uh, you know what? It saved us Let's not back in the 1940s. Okay? <laughs> disinformation is great. No, I'm just kidding. But in the in in World War II, it helped the British out. Uh, they were spreading lies to cover up some secrets. Uh, you both went with A, uh, that British businesses are not required to accept legal tender. That is a common myth. Uh, but this was perpetuated by the British government to deflate German currency. Uh, nobody chose that eating carrots uh, is not good for your vision. That's a myth. Uh, and nobody shows that humans use 10% of their brains. Everyone is sticking, holding firm here? Sticking with it, because carrots are good for your vision. As Jen so. said, A is really the only respectable option yes. for us to choose. <laughs> yes. All right. The correct answer is B, carrots <laughs> do not improve your vision. That is a myth. How? How, uh, how is that? Carrots. Carrots have vitamins, and I think specifically vitamin A, which is a good vitamin to eat, and I believe your eyes need vitamin A, but carrots do not- So they do help! <laughs> I think if you never had vitamin A, like if you had a vitamin A deficient diet, like you'd be in bad trouble, but eating more carrots does not improve your vision in any way that is a myth that originated because the British- had wow. a secret radar system that was helping them shoot down Nazi planes at night. Shooting them down at night was very hard to do in the 40s. Uh, we just did not have the technology. And the Germans were like, what the fuck? We, how are we losing the air war here? And the British were like, yep, our pilots are eating them carrots and they are, they are sharpshooters because of that, uh, those carrots. To this day, we still think carrots uh, are good for vision. the eyes. And it's yeah. just, it's just, I mean, carrots are great. You should eat carrots. They do not improve your eyesight in any meaningful way. Do you know how they like perpetuated this whole carrot thing? Because it, it, for it to last so long is crazy. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I assume yeah. it was radio and, and just sort of like, you know, it was just a thing that was said and the rumor <laughs> p persisted or whatever you know what whether I, I don't know I, I could look further into it but I, i'm so sure broadcasting was involved but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love that little fact that's great i mean that definitely was repeated to me num a number of times in my youth so thank yeah. you for dispelling that in our childhood yeah <laughs> yeah but this is scary because it also shows how disinformation can stick with you yeah mm -hmm. man mm -hmm. so yeah we're kind of fucked so the, st the storm will still be coming like a hundred years from now or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it will right. because they just changed the goalpost, you know? Yeah. For our listeners yeah. who are confused by that, QAnon, they believe in a storm and then the storm right. didn't come. So they changed the goalpost. Right. Go, 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 go. But, but, but like, 
you know, you know, you always, when you you look at a trivia book or you look at Wikipedia, where it's like common misconceptions, and it's like all oh, these cute things, you know, the old wives' tales and the common sense things that we thought were true and and turns out are totally not true. Like they're cute and they're like fun party trivia, but and none of it was ever necessarily malicious. It's just common wisdom that we know now through science or study is false, but we can't shake it out of our culture, right? But what we're talking about here is so like different, yeah. destructive disinformation. Wait, speaking of old wives tales, I've been thinking a lot about those lately, right? Because everyone is always like, you know, like the birds and the bees, you got to talk about the birds and the bees. But I've been Mm -hmm. doing some research into animal sex just for fun. And um, did you guys know how birds do it and how bees do it? Because like, it's real weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would like to know. um, Birds put their little buttholes together and they Okay. <laughs> they they touch them together. They tap the little butts. Um, so birds are real gay. You heard it here. And uh, <laughs> and then bees, they fly around. The bee, the queen bee fucks as many dudes as she wants midair. And when the little bees are done jizzing, she rips off their dicks. <laughs> so heard it here. The birds and the bees. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then we're sitting there telling, yeah, you got to talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. I don't know. Yeah, maybe don't you don't tell want to. Don't tell children little, about that. Yeah, don't do old that. wives' tale, really. The birds and the bees. It's really, really the really, reality yeah. is much harsher. On a previous episode, I said <laughs> nature is not a good place, <laughs> and this is just yeah. another little factoid that shows you. Yes. The natural order of things is horrifying and cruel. Yeah, and people love to be like, oh, like, we behave this way because of nature. It's like, nah, nah, dude, we don't need to do that. No, we don't, <laughs> we don't, need, to do we don't need to do those things. <laughs> exactly. But if you'd like me to rip off your dick, I'll think about it, you know. Why is bu- touching butts, two butts together, why is that gay? Okay. I, I, I'm, oh, I thought you were going to ask for more information about the birds, and I wanted to explain <laughs> the birds have one hole for everything. It's called a cloaca, yes. so it's not technically mm-hmm. their buttholes, but it's like their one hole. It's like the one-stop shop. Oh. I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up the cloaca to you, but all I could think was Coachella. I could not get <laughs> yeah. the word cloaca in well, my brain. Okay, they they rub the little Coachellas together, and that's how they make a baby. And some birds have a little scooper in their little butthole in their Coachellas, and the scooper helps um, pass their gametes to the other Coachella. What's a gamete? Is that a baby? <laughs> Do I, I know, you know, they like sex cells. Jen, you're fucking it's pregnant. Fun. You should know about this. It's half, it's half a baby. Jen, it's only half a baby. Does, how do babies get made? Jen's oh. pregnant. Jen is pregnant. You heard it here. She didn't know. And Adam put his little Coachella <laughs> by Jen's Coachella, we, and he got his little scooper, just, and he scooped uh, we just gametes. Touch butts. Yeah, we just, definitely. yep, that's how babies are made. You heard it here. It's so. A, I, Mm, I'm going to have to do a lot of editing to fact check this episode. Man. <laughs> okay, actually, I'm dead serious. Those are facts. Like, I, yeah. I'm reading a book about animal sex because I think it's really fascinating. And I also think there's going to be a lot of material here. When the world comes back, I want to do a whole stand-up <laughs> set that's just about animal yeah. sex. Yeah. Love, love It's that. really weird. Did you know spiders? Just like, they just drop <laughs> their like jizz. like a little boy Jerry Maguire. <laughs> like, did you know? <laughs> spiders just like drop their jizz on the ground. They're just like dropping jizz everywhere everywhere and then yeah. a female spider just comes and just like scoops it up wow that that's, doesn't seem fun at all for honestly spiders. though i haven't worked it out yet but i just feel like there's gonna be non-stop joke jokes about animal sex because and there's gotta be just dropping you jizz said- just picking them up with their eight legs putting it back in so you said that touching butts was like gay sex but gay sex is not touching 
But yeah, no, I was. No, that was a joke. So. No. Okay, cool. cool. All right, just checking. Listen, just check I need in. to workshop it. I know. Look, I just <laughs> okay. just found this out the other day. Been thinking about it. Just wanted to share with you, but it's going to need a lot of workshopping. Um, well, when the world opens, there was some up, disinformation there. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, disinfo. That's not how gay sex works. But it could. I don't know. That's probably a thing. Whatever you're into. Yeah, Listen, if you're into rubbing butts, rub those little Coachellas. There's a lot of nerve endings in the butt, so people probably rub their butts together. <laughs> there's there's probably a subreddit for it. Yes. Honestly, yes. we're going to talk to the butt rubbing community next. Bridget's um, going to listen to the me. top of this episode and be like, I am not affiliated with this podcast and I never came on it. <laughs> on that note, we are so thrilled to have with us today, Bridget Todd, who is the host and creator of There Are No Girls on the Internet and the host of a mini series, Disinformed, uh, which we're here to talk about today. She's also the communications director for Ultraviolet, a gender justice organization. Welcome, Bridget. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for that warm introduction. <laughs> we are so, so excited to have you. Jen yes. and Matt know I will not stop talking about how the world is falling apart with disinformation. <laughs> but yeah, so just to kick us off, uh, I know that black people are responsible for the wildfires, um, but so are the Jews. <laughs> and I was, wondering, <laughs> I was just wondering if next time you wanted to work together, you know, because... Um, I just Honestly, I think that would be more productive for us it is all. My, it's my goal in life to make sure that we ensure lasers for black people. You know, it's, it's high time. Jewish yeah, people have been I'm, having all the fun with lasers. It's time. Yeah. We, you know, we need equality here. So, yes, we can work right. together. Thank you. And make I'm sure excited. this entire planet is on fire. I'm excited to build this bridge with you. Great. <laughs> well, I... Before we get into disinformation, I just wanted to ask, I mean, you have a pretty extensive bio of things that you've done. You know, you've taught at Howard, you've trained human rights activists around the world, you've done so many things. But what really piqued my interest reading your bio was something called the Hogwarts for Digital Wizardry. <laughs> what What is that? And I know how much Ali loves Harry Potter, so I just oh, I'm very excited to hear about this. <laughs> yes, so this was, this was many years ago. I, I worked as a training director for an organization called the New Organizing Institute. It's no longer with us, so RIP, but... Honestly, it was where a generation of digital activists and digital organizers got their foundation in how to be online and how to sort of use the internet to make the world a better place. And it was like a silly organization, you know, I'll never forget my first, when I first got hired there, they were decorating for Christmas and instead of Christmas ornaments on their tree, they had little cutouts of war criminals because they had a war on Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like a silly organization. And yeah, the Washington Post did a write-up on this training that I ran that was really giving folks a crash course and basically how to use the internet. And it was a campaign simulation where it was like, Hermione versus Harry Potter, all all of these different uh, Harry Potter characters running for office. And so you had to run <laughs> these little mock campaigns and that was the training. So yeah, I'm we sorry, were the who ho- won? Oh yeah. God, who won that year? I actually don't remember. It was several years ago now. Okay, um, I, will, I will check on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I have never read Harry Potter. I'm so negligent. What? I haven't I either. <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I, now I, Ali's less excited. No, I, <laughs> so, I had such a girl crush on Bridget, and now, oh. I don't know, it took it down a notch. But, you know, now it's kind of at, like, a healthier level, probably, yeah. so that's I, good. I, I stand the movies. I just have not read the book. The movies? Ugh. <laughs> Bridget, get it together. A real purist. I had no idea. Yeah. 
no, it's so, there's so much bad. I mean, once you read the books, the movies are just like, bleh. okay. But you know, we'll sidebar on that later. I still think you're a digital wizard. I'm excited you're here. Okay, I'll take it. Let's talk about disinformed. We are so excited and sad to talk about it. So we know there are a lot of people who've been trying to raise awareness about disinformation for a long time now. But it's it seems it seems like most people still aren't paying serious attention even after the insurrection. Um, so I mentioned this when I reached out to you, but. It drove me bananas uh, after the insurrection when it seems like everyone was talking about white supremacy. And like, yes, white supremacy is bad. Let's get rid of it. But people stormed the Capitol because they believed that Trump won and that this storm was coming. And that and so they also believe there wouldn't even be consequences. Um, so which is all to say that we are thrilled that you are like really diving into this. And so. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but why, in your words, did you decide to make this slight pivot from what you were doing in the podcast space into this series specifically on disinformation? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, you know, I am someone who is extremely online. My work is online. After the workday, I'm still scrolling Twitter for funsies. And (laughs) I think, you know, I've seen firsthand the way disinformation can really like not just wreck our democracy, which yes, wreck our democracy, but also just wreck our online experiences. And I think personally, I honestly, this is such a simple answer. I got sick of not being able to have just good faith dialogue on the internet. You know, when I was first coming, coming of age online, I thought the internet was this place of like free expression. You could talk about ideas. And I thought it represented this real, you know, ability for folks to reach out. You know, I was in a small town. And so when I first got America online, it was the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) Like I would be up in my room talking to people from all over the world about things I I had never even dreamed of. Flash forward to today, I see the way that misinformation and disinformation just makes it almost impossible to have a good faith conversation, even like even about topics that are so important. And so I really want to raise awareness about the fact that A, this is happening, and B, we all have a role to play. And so I know that for myself, as someone who was a technologist, for a long time, I was like, oh, well, what do I know about, you know, the inner workings of the internet or technology or tech policy? Like, I'm just someone who likes to use social media. But that kind of thinking really does get us away from the fact that everybody has a responsibility to be a good steward of the internet if you want it to still be a fun and safe and inclusive place. Mm-hmm. For those of our listeners who have not heard the miniseries yet, can you tell them go a little listen. bit more? Go listen, first of all, but also tell them a little bit more about what you've covered and, and will be covering, what some of the main focal points are. Yeah, the main points of the of the project are that disinformation is really something that disproportionately impacts women and communities of color and other underrepresented folks, right? So even though we don't really generally talk about our experiences online just in general, because, you know, we're already kind of marginalized. We're the ones who are really the most targeted when it comes to disinformation. Like, I don't know if anyone has been on Twitter today, but right now AOC is at the, at the heart of a disinform, like a coordinated disinformation campaign. And, you know, she's also a woman of color. And so if we don't have is these this convers- the one that she's like, wasn't even at the Capitol. Exactly. Yes. Jesus it's, it's, fucking Christ. It is so <laughs> frustrating. Basically like, coordinated bad actors are elevating these complete fabrications to the point that people who really don't, who maybe don't know, it becomes part of their their understanding of what actually happened. Like we all know there was an insurrection on the 6th. There's like 
that is not to be denied. And now, you know, when I went to bed last night, that the, one of the biggest Twitter trends was AOC lied. And you get to the point where there are people who will just say any lie, any distortion, any fabrication. And rather than people being like, oh, well, that is a demonstrably false statement. It is incorrect. Here's all the proof. We just allow it into the marketplace of ideas like it's not a lie. And I think, you know, I got frustrated by seeing women's stories, women of color stories, LGBTQ folks' stories being really left out of the conversation that we have about these kinds of experiences online. And the fact that so many of those same people have been the ones who have been leading the charge against disinformation and online harassment and misinformation since forever. And so I just see that underrepresented folks, women, folks of color, LGBTQ folks are just entirely being left out of the conversation that is inherently about our experiences online. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just to make sure we're clear, disinformation, um, women and people of color are both uh, targets disproportionately and they're sounding the alarm disproportionately and being ignored. Absolutely correct. You know, some of, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, I mean, super awesome. Okay. So, oh my God, so many problems. So, so, uh, right. And, and absolutely this is, that corroborates everything I've read. So, uh, how do we get authorities to take it seriously when women and people of color sound the alarms as as I know they did before the insurrection ever happened. Yes. So one of my favorite episodes of Disinform that we've done talks to Shireen Mitchell, who is the founder of Stop Online Violence Against Women. And she's been talking about the ways that disinformers have been targeting Black women online since like 2014, 2013. And it wasn't until a Senate inquiry basically confirmed everything that she's been saying that went ignored. Uh, so that's definitely an issue. I would say... What we need to do in this moment is not repeat the past mistakes that we've made. You know, we've, we already know, we've already have the narrative written that like women of color spoke up about this and people with power, be they tech leaders, be they policymakers, what have you, just were basically like, oh, you know, you're being targeted online. Huh? Well, what are you going to do? And I think in this particular moment, we need to have a little bit of a reckoning and say, what are we going to do to meaningfully center the people who have been speaking up about this to make sure that they, the next time that we speak up, the next time that we're doing the research and doing the work pushing back and speaking up, the people with power actually listen. And here's my thing, though. I am actually hopeful. I think that in this moment, you know, tech companies and policymakers are listening. I think that we have their ear. I also think they're afraid of getting this wrong again. So I, I am hopeful that we can have a, a much needed kind of culture shift, cultural conversation, cultural reset around how we think about these kinds of platforms and what happens on them. I'm glad that you're hopeful because I am not. But, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, so to sort of press you on that, what are the different ways that you're seeing these voices being taken more seriously? Are the tech companies listening now? Are there, what's going on? And and can our listeners do anything about this to help? Oh, my favorite question. I'm so glad you (laughs) asked. I would say one of the first things that makes me hopeful is when we all saw Trump be deplatformed. I uh, truly, you know, I have been in meetings with I tech companies. Bridget, it took an insurrection. <laughs> it took an insurrection. It took an insurrection. Yeah. So let's like triple underline that. Right. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it happened. You know, I 
truly, I never thought I'd see the day that Trump would be kicked off of Facebook. I, I thought you, I thought it would just would never happen. You know, after he posted that thing, what is it? Um, when the sh- looting starts, the shooting starts. I right. thought, well, if Facebook's fine with that, they'll be fine with anything. There is like nothing that he can say that will get him, get him kicked off. Well, the mm-hmm. sad thing is, I think they only did it because he was no longer the president. Or, you know, oh, he was outgoing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I am, I am not willing to give these people, you know, too much credit. Like, I okay. think that, you <laughs> know, yeah, I completely agree. Right. I think that if he had won the election, I think that like, if he was not an outgoing president and like, you know, it's no, it's no coincidence that like Democrats are coming into power and they have a, they've, they've have an interest in like being more, ha- having a more hands-on legislative approach to tech platforms. It is not surprising to me that like, all of a sudden, these people found their conscience and decided to do the right thing. You know, it's like uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like that scene in the movie The Grinch where his heart grows. It's like I'm I'm sure that Mark Zuckerberg did not have a Grinch moment where his heart grew three sizes overnight. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm completely sure. Sorry, we were asking so much. what can yeah. our listeners do? <laughs> well, the number one thing that all of us can do to stop the spread of disinformation is to a understand it. But B, not amplify it. And this is something that I am completely guilty of. Even as somebody who works on disinformation, I have to remind myself to not help it grow. So if you see something on Twitter where you're like, that is a lie, that is a distortion, that is inflammatory, when you have that moment, at least if you're anything like me, you know, you're angry, your heart is beating a little faster, you're like, you know aroused right like you're like mm-hmm. you know not in the not in the sexy fun way but in the like no, i'm just in a sexy fun way it's really yeah. i get, I get in a sexy it. fun yeah. way yeah <laughs> i see disinformation i'm like yeah let's get it you're like yes more uh-huh. yeah so in that moment take a pause and rather than retweeting it or amplifying it or you know making a joke on it do not do that right so the number mm. one way that people can help curb the spread of disinformation is by not helping it grow. And so if you see it, rather than trying to retweet it to like dunk on it or make a joke, it can be very seductive and like tempting to do that. But when you do that, you're actually helping it to grow. So don't retweet it. Instead, focus on being like a good steward of trusted, accurate information in your own little pocket of the internet. So even if you only have 10 followers, 15 followers, whatever, make sure that the people who are in your online community know that you are a consistent, trusted source for positive, accurate information online. And so, you know, I always tell people, if you can, if you are the kind of person who shares anything on your personal Facebook, try to have a little bit of it be just positive, like accurate, consistent information every now and then, right? And so just think of yourself as like a little influencer of your little pocket of the internet. That is one way that we can all help curb the spread of disinformation. So I know we're obviously we're talking about the internet, but also like, do you have any advice for this translating into real life? And I'm just asking because I think earlier you said something about like being able to present good facts to people. What I found sometimes in conversations with people around like conspiracy theories is like the deeper they are into the theory, the more like random, not true, like quote unquote facts they have. (laughs) And it's sometimes hard to come back at that, like with uh, things that, you know, that uh, just kind of will match that. So just any thoughts about about, like when it translates into real life conversation. Oh my god, I could write a book. I mean, we've all probably been <laughs> you probably there, right? Should Bridget. I <laughs> <probably> <laughs> if anyone's listening, like holler. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, we probably all had that moment where you're at the dinner table or the Thanksgiving table and your wild auntie says something where you're like, well, that's not true. Or like your <laughs> your uncle says something and you're like, they're definitely not putting microchips in the vaccine. But, uh, you know, so it can be hard, right? So I just want to acknowledge that these conversations can be fraught and tough and they intersect with like our community and our relationships, which is why they are so thorny. You know, we just did an interview with Abby Richards, who is a really awesome science communicator. And one of the things that she said is, A, if you can, try to stay respectful, right? And so if somebody if somebody hits you with like a deluge of, of false information, information that you know is false and dangerous, your instinct might be to jump all over them and like dump the mashed potatoes on their head and like storm out. <laughs> But resist that urge, right? Because that's not going to help if anything that's going to push them further and further into their into their like disinformation rabbit hole. And so mm-hmm. try to stay respectful. And also, I-, I have found that empathy can really be a key tool to to kind of how we have conversations with our loved ones who might be stuck in a, in a conspiracy theory rabbit hole or, or, or something like that, right? And so just thinking like, where is this person coming from? What, what's in their life? How are they feeling? What has What is going on with them that has led them to this kind of thinking? Because I have found that nine times out of 10, if somebody is who isn't, who has not typically been like this, has been taken by conspiracy theories, something else is going on. They're lonely. Mm-hmm. They're scared. They're anxious. You know, we've got with COVID going on, it is not surprising that people will be, you know, vulnerable to, mm-hmm. to, you know, bad actors who really are preying on people who are in, a, in a, having a hard time. So that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Also, I would say just trying to remind them of the, the the things in their life that they have that connect them and ground them to who they are, right? So maybe they have hobbies that they love or they have family members that they love. Reminding them of who they are outside of these conspiracy theory rabbit holes, particularly for things like QAnon. You know, I think that people get wrapped up in it because they're scared and looking for answers. And so if you can if you can remind them about the things they have in their real life that make them feel grounded or connected to their community, that can be one way of like reminding them that there's <laughs> something else out there other than endless online rabbit holes about how <laughs> Nancy Pelosi is using children's blood for a facial or whatever the fuck. <laughs> We're joking, but that is true. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that to be true. I mean, her skin looks great. <laughs> but here, honestly, for her age, yeah. Okay, but honestly, okay, so, but here's the dilemma. Love everything you're saying in theory. In practice, from my own experience and from People we've inter- we did a whole QAnon episode. These people are stuck in echo chambers, so they are just getting this reinforced constantly. So even going back to what you mentioned about, you know, tr- you should you should be that good actor online, but like you know. F- for for me, for instance, to say things about misinformation, you know, I'm I'm in my own echo chamber. So you know, and even like I loved your guest in your most recent episode, um, Abby Richards. But you know, she talked about she's doing these amazing TikToks that are getting the word out about conspiracy theories. But aren't TikToks algorithms just favoring people who will like that? You know what I mean? So how do how do we fix this really? Oh. That, I mean, yes, right? Like, that, like, I'm so glad that you brought this up. The nature of all of our social media platforms are kind of fucked inherently because of the nature of the way that algorithms work. And so, you know, I'm a radical queer black feminist. And so any platform that I use is going to surface content that they think I will engage with because they're, that's how they work. They, they want me to click on things and engage with them. And so, 
my feed and like my wild uncle's feed would look drastically different. And so in a kind of way, you know, his rea- his version of reality that he would see and my version of reality that I would see just based on our feeds would be completely different. And so, you know, I, I don't have an easy answer for this. I think that what I-, I think that we can do kind of harm reduction steps in the short term, but long term, we need to have a radical reimagining and like a radical shift of how we think about how these platforms function and how they the role they have in our lives and in our world and in our democracies. And I think that like you know, we can all take small, tangible steps like sharing accurate information consistently and not amplifying disinformation and not feeding into it. But I think that we do need like a wider cultural shift reset around how these algorithms work and how much they dominate our conversations because it's not good. You know, the fact that our algorithms are biased toward disinformation because of those are the kind of things that tend to be inflammatory and get lots of eyeballs and clicks and engagement even by people who were just, you know, talking about how wrong or incorrect they are, that is a real problem that is baked into how these platforms work. And so I think that we do need to have some kind of larger uh, reckoning around that. I mean, it's, it's not an easy answer, right? The same way where it's like, oh, well, there are little things that you can do to get pay equality, but ultimately we need to fa- like smash the fucking patriarchy, right? Like it is a bigger mm-hmm. system that we can take small, meaningful actions individually to chip away at it, but we need to have a widespread, you know, reimagining of, of these systems that are so dominant in our lives. Mm-hmm. That analogy made me feel weirdly hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> there you a go. Great analogy, because I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here like, how do we convince the tech companies? But the patriarchy analogy is really great because it's like, well, we can't just really smash it but we can slowly crack it with our individual actions there's a layer on top we've talked about this the the root of everything that bridget is saying and it's exactly right is advertising these Mm -hmm. companies make money in advertising so they need to keep you glued to the feed that is the entire business model and there's zero incentive to change it from an advertising model to a pay model like a like a subscriber paying model because capitalism they will make billions of dollars more the way they're doing it now than the way we could have built the internet. So we really have to fix capitalism before we can fix these platforms because I don't see any other way. What do you think about I that? I mean, also, I think we should unplug the internet and plug it back in. Just <laughs> Well, sure. But I guess what I'm saying, if, if, if money is still the way it all works at the end of the day, then you're going to plug it back in. And we all may think no, no, like, no. oh, well, we maybe we could do it. it this way. We blow on the Nintendo cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> We shift some things around before we plug it back in, Matthew. While I love that idea, you plug it back in and for a week or two, we'll all say, oh, this is going to be way better. And then someone's going to be like, but if I just make an algorithm, it's going to be, we're going to make 10x more money. And then you're back where you started because that's the arms race. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in addition to unplugging it and plugging it back in or putting it in rice, you know, I I think we really got to make disinformation unprofitable. I completely agree right. with you. Yes, the issue yes. is like like so many problems, the issue really comes down to capitalism and money and and I would say corporate greed. And I think, you know, we have to make it so that if you are trafficking in distortions, lies and inflammatory disinformation, that is a an unprofitable business model for your interests, right? And so right. I think that there are so many people who are doing that work. One of the people that we talked to um, on there, No Girls on the Internet, Nandini Jamie from, uh, used to yep. be from Sleeping Giants, now check my ads, 
making Mm -hmm. this kind of bullshit online something that is going to mess with your money. I think that's the only thing that a lot of these corporate leaders and social media and tech leaders understand. And I think short of, you know, complete social and political overhaul of our capitalistic white supremacist (laughs) patriarchal society, we got to hit him in the pocketbook, right? That's the only thing some of these people understand. So I completely agree. And it's regulation because when we had a different form of mass media, which was radio and television, we as a society said, whoa, okay, well, we can't put cigarettes and we can't advertise beer to children and we can't, the news has to be at this time and it has to be factual. Yeah, it's insane to me how much we regulated everything else and then not the internet. It makes no sense to me. Because the internet in the 90s was taken as like, oh, that's cute. That'll never work. And then we just let it run. We let it mutate and go crazy. And like we have, (laughs) we have our our laws that regulate it are were like written in the 1990s for like (laughs) message boards and shit. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't want to tell tales out of school, but a close family friend of mine was um, a lawmaker who was on one of the like technology committees. And you know, his job is to ask tough questions of tech leaders and knowing him in real life, this motherfucker doesn't know how to send an email. Like, it's like, exactly. like this is, you know what I mean? It's like, he, he has to unplug it and plug it back in, but he was serious. <laughs> right, it's like the, the, pe- the people whose jobs it is to understand this stuff for the average citizen, it's like, I feel, I just feel it's all, in a lot of ways, it's all wrong. The way that we have conversations about the internet and how it is regulated and how we think about it and the role that it plays in our lives is all wrong. And, you know, I know that you were kidding about this, like plug it, unplug it and plug it back in. But I do think we need a hard reset. We need something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. No, it's it's laughable. Like watching when you watch Congress, like grill Mark Zuckerberg. I have a new theory that all Congress people should have to make a TikTok with no assistance <laughs> in a given time frame. There's a time limit on this test. And if they can't do it, they are fired. Put it yes. in the Constitution. <laughs> Get it in the Constitution. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. I just think, but honestly, it's like, I'm kidding, but I'm not even kidding. It's like these people don't have digital literacy, and that's like one of the number one things we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like, think about this. Like, if, if I mean, I don't know how old y'all are, but when I was coming of age, my parents were so concerned about what I was doing online. And I was getting up to some weird shit, so they probably should have been concerned. So like, <laughs> they weren't wrong. But the way that we were taught to fear the internet when people who are my age were coming of age. Those are the same people who are like live streaming themselves, breaking the windows at the Capitol, right? Like I do think there's something mm-hmm. to be said for the fact that there is a, like a weird generational divide of the people who have a lot of the power and a lot of the influence are the same people who just like really ne- don't necessarily have a tight grip on the internet and digital literacy and the culture that it is, you know, responsible for. Do you think there's hope just based on young people naturally growing up with a little more digital literacy? I do think so. You know, in a lot of this work, the thing that consistently gives me hope is young people. They are so if you if you ever scroll TikTok, they are so creative and just have so much to say and have so much life. So I do think that the next generation of folks who have you know grown up online, I am so hopeful that they will be responsible for some of the most transformative shifting in the way that we think about the internet that we've ever seen. So I'm, I'm there. They give me a lot of hope. Yeah, I'm always ready to be a curmudgeon. And then I talk to a young person and I'm like, oh, you really you really know what's up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we need him in Congress. This is why AOC is so inspirational because sure. she's out there not only saying the things that need to get said, but 
she's online. She's playing streaming video games. She's talking with her constituents in digital ways that matter deeply and will then make legislation uh, accordingly. She is not going to be the idiot uh, at the Capitol who's like, so Mark Zuckerberg, how, how do you make money if you don't charge for Facebook? <laughs> like, she right. will not be that congressperson. Mm, yeah. She will be the smart one. And I remember when she, a couple months ago, she was um, doing like a Q&A on legislation on Instagram Live while making macaroni and mm. cheese in her house. <laughs> and I remember, I remember reading that. these headlines that were like, oh, isn't it pathetic making macaroni and cheese? And I was like, that's literally what I did today. Like, like <laughs> she, like, she oh. is tapping into the lived experience online a of so person. many of our generation. She's a real a real young a person. Real it's also person. just yeah. insane, right? Because like they yell at her about how much she spent on her hair, but then like making mac and cheese is pathetic. It's just like you can't do <laughs> yeah. anything right. You know sure. what I mean? Like, what's their point mm -hmm. here? Also, mac and cheese is delicious. I'm lactose intolerant and I miss it. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Thank you for your sympathy, though. Yeah, it's really okay. So we're really interested in internet communities here on this podcast, as you can imagine. That's sort of like you know what we deal with here, and we love kind of focusing on how they can be an amazing way to bring people together, sharing common interests, values, stories, all of that. We recently had an episode with COVID long haulers who started a Facebook group that like hundreds of thousands of people are a part of, just to like share things that you know in in the medical literature like aren't really out yet, so people are kind of talking about things anyway. But in this case with disinformation, community, it, it can amplify the disinformation, obviously. So how are, like, what communities are kind of responsible for fueling disinformation, if that's possible to answer? And, and how is it being fueled? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, the internet really is about the power of community and it can go, it can be very positive or very negative. I was really surprised to find out just how much kind of the, I guess what they call like the mommy bloggers, mommy blogosphere is fueling a lot of medical misinformation. You know, yes. when you think, yeah, yeah, when you think about it, women, like heterosexual women or women who are in, in heterosexual pairings, they're responsible for so many of the financial and medical and health decisions that get made in a household for their, for their partners, for their children. And I think that we have kind of sidelined a lot of these places and spaces because they're just like, oh, there's just women talking about sewing or whatever they talk about when really women. they're having exactly <laughs> talking like, about women things. I bet they're talking about sewing and tampons. <laughs> sewing, tampons, and lipsticks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was really surprised to find out just what big, you know, spreaders of disinformation a lot of these mo mommy blogosphere, you know, places online are. Uh, yeah. We have an, an episode coming up pretty soon about the fight to ban medical misinformation off of or keep it off of Pinterest. And I guess mm. I, I, I don't use Pinterest myself, but I had never really thought of it as a place where you would find where you would go to get medical information. And I right. was completely incorrect, right? And so I think that we really need to, to look harder at a lot of these places online that are dominated by women. And I don't think we've I don't think we've looked enough at those spaces because a lot of really dangerous conversations are going down in those places. And I can understand why, because you know, I think if you're a, a mom, we don't we just don't support moms enough in this country and like parents in general. And so if you're a, fucking exhausted because you've been up all night with a kid. B, probably underpaid. You're going to turn to anything that feels like community, anything that feels like an answer, anything that like makes you feel less alone in this, in this slog that is, that is parenthood. And so I think we really got to have more scrutiny on these online spaces where you find people who are vulnerable and also 
fucking exhausted because they are ripe to be disinformed by bad actors. Yeah. Well, I also think there's an element of it makes people feel powerful to think that they have this like secret solution that the mainstream media won't cover, (laughs) you know? So I just, I don't know, but I also think it goes back to what you said earlier about how to de-monetize false information, whether it's Pinterest or wherever it is. I don't know Mm -hmm. how the fuck we do that, though. (laughs) Unfortunately, I mean, I don't have the ultimate answer, but something that I have seen is that it's just everyday people saying, no, this is bullshit, and you shouldn't get rich from pushing a a bogus COVID cure that's going to hurt somebody, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it has been... I think we have seen that tech leaders cannot be, you know, left to... In, to, left to moderate themselves in this particular facet. And most of the time it's unpaid, just regular, regular, regular people. Just like all your listeners who have said, wait, no, this is dangerous. This is going to hurt somebody. You should not be putting this out there. And if you are, you certainly shouldn't be getting, it shouldn't be profitable to put this out there. Um, and then also something else I want to say to your earlier point about, it's very flattering to feel like, you know, something that other people don't know, right? Like I, in my early days of talking about disinformation, I, I I handled it completely incorrectly. And I had this heated back and forth on Facebook with a, a high school classmate about QAnon. And ultimately, she was like, you know, sad. I thought you were a smart girl. Sad to see that you're just another sheep, you know, listening to CNN and, and, and can't think for yourself. And I realized it, it must feel so good to feel like you have you're so smart that you see something that other people don't see. Like nothing that mm-hmm. I could say in terms of giving her facts or credible yeah. information was going to trump that feeling of I am superior because I see something that the rest of the world is c- cannot see. Right. That And that's the part that's so fascinating, but also scares me the most because it's hard to argue with people where at the end of the line is always, well, that's because the mainstream media doesn't want you to know and you have to get your, you know what I mean? them, saying that what they have is the, are the facts. Exactly. Well, we love, in one of your episodes, you mentioned the power of humor in mm, spreading yeah. disinformation um, and also how it could be a tool in teaching digital literacy. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, Abby Richards is hilarious. If you follow her on TikTok, which you should, she makes these amazing videos breaking down conspiracy theories and disinformation and really trying to make media literacy just an accessible thing for everybody. And the you know when I am scrolling Facebook, when I see memes that are pushing COVID disinformation or vaccine disinformation or election disinformation, they are typic- they typically are funny in some way. They're trying to appeal to my sense of humor. And I would be lying if I said every now and then I didn't sort of chuckle at one of those memes. But in that moment, they're using humor to like disarm you and, and make you kind of let your guard down, right? And so humor is such a powerful tool. Like even comedians who I hate, who I think are awful, if they make me laugh, I'm like, oh, he's got a point, you know, and I like begrudgingly <laughs> <Right>. laugh. <laughs> I hate to say this, but the the bad actors are kind of winning. If if the internet is being fought through memes and online content, the bad actors are kind of winning and that they have so much more funny, engaging, easy to understand content that just sort of disarms you quickly. And before you know it, you're like, wait a minute, this is actually pushing COVID disinformation, or this is actually pushing election disinformation. And so I think we desperately need on the other side, we desperately need people who are making engaging, funny content to counter this. Because if the people who are trying to push good, solid, accurate information are only doing so in like 
journals or like boring ass articles or like, you know, white papers, we're never going to get anywhere. So we really need to democratize memes and democratize humor and fight back in the same medium. And I think that a, a real problem is a lot of folks who work professionally on this stuff think that's like beneath them. And so if we can get to a place where we are also making memes and online content about the need for media literacy. I think we'll, we'll, we'll have a fighting chance. So the revolution will be TikToked. The revolution will be TikToked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a super quick follow-up to that because I find it really fascinating. I've always observed, I don't want to make this about left versus right, but I've always observed the left to be more f- funny and humorous in general and the right to be more like buttoned up and like, I bet that's your the, echo chamber because I've heard it the echo as well that they're I've heard they're winning through memes. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So that I guess I'm wondering, we've always had like the John Stewart's and the John Oliver's of the world who are breaking down topical news and giving it to us in comedy form. It's entertaining, but it is also the weapon I am able to understand and then mobilize because I now understand what's going mm-hmm. on in the, in the world or the country. I never observed any mass media conservative people, though the conservative folks are always like the Rush Limbaugh's who are just shouting into the into the radio. They're not funny. They're not humorists. Yeah. And so what's different about the Internet? Because, again, my echo chamber is full of very funny content creators who commentate on the news in a very funny way. And I don't see the, I don't see the conservative memes, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, that's such a good question. I I agree with you both, right? I would say that it comes down to sort of a traditional media versus new media or digital media divide. Mm -hmm, You are mm -hmm. completely right that like, People on the right just aren't fucking funny. Like if you ever if you've ever seen like um like <laughs> Dennis saying. Miller, like he's just, not, right, he's just right. not funny. Like there are people on the right who I disagree with who I'll be like, oh, his message is abhorrent, but he's funny. There are not that many of them, right? They're just no, not but- as they're just not as funny as people on the left. It just is the way it is. And I think you know, the shows that get popular, like the, the late night news shows that get popular, it's no wonder that they have a, a kind of a leftist bent because people on the left are funnier. That right. said, I think when you translate that to the internet, I think the entire thing gets like exploded in a kind of way that you have meme makers and people on Reddit and like people who maybe have, who don't necessarily see themselves as fitting into a traditional right left divide, who are able to use things like YouTube or TikTok or memes to, I don't know, kind of get at your humor in kind of a sinister backdoor way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I have a cousin who is obsessed with like, I guess, I guess you might call like alt-righty kind of YouTubers. Like he, one, one, the last time that I saw him, he was like, you should really think about listening to some Jordan Peterson. I think you might like what he has to say. And I kind <sighs> of couldn't believe that like, Uh, somebody in my family was telling me this, but then I was like, you know, I don't think there's much media that he feels like is speaking directly to him as like a young man. And so I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of these folks, they see where there are legitimate gaps in, in content, right? So it's like, if you, if you're like a young disaffected man and you feel like no one is really speaking to you in a traditional media sense, that Mm -hmm. just leaves you open for people who have a terrible, dangerous, corrosive message to lure you in with humor and to get you on their side. Totally. But I don't I don't know much about Jordan Peterson, but I don't observe him as like a comedian. I observe him as like a I'm a intellectual and I write books and and I'm going to speak to the disaffected youth who is funny on and I'm not like saying give me examples, but I'm like I don't I'm wondering who are the funny conservative people because I don't observe 
any of them. And I, I don't want to belabor this point, but it's just, this is all very fascinating to me. Well, I have a great example of somebody who is not funny at a time where yeah. it like, really backfired, <laughs> which is, I think it was Ben Shapiro was trying to make fun of Cardi B's song, uh, oh, yeah. WAP. Oh, this is my Ooh. favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know how to make a pussy wet. <laughs> no, that was... First of all, that was just my favorite day on the internet. I was like, thank God for this blessing. Uh, him completely self-owning his inability to make a pussy wet and <laughs> doubling down on it. And so I think, yeah. you know, it is it is sad when you see somebody who is a shitty conservative try to be funny and it blows up in their face, but it sure is enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, man. All right. So humor, we got to slowly chip away. Is there anything we can do to pressure the tech companies? Um, in in my research for this episode, I found out that Mark Zuckerberg's net worth is currently ninety six point four billion. And oh my god, <laughs> it's just insane to me because like twenty sixteen happens, and I feel like that was when people first started like really kind of loudly talking about disinformation, at least from my perspective, where it was like, oh no, like foreign agents, the internet the election, democracy, and then everyone was like, ah, delete Facebook, and then literally nothing happened. Like, Facebook didn't do <laughs> anything. Like, they, they added, like, a button to, like, look at your sources. <laughs> so dumb, right? <laughs> like, what do we do about that? Like, I, and I, and, you know, Facebook is always like, oh, the problem's so big. Like, we can't. And it's like, go fuck yourselves. Like, I'm pretty sure you could put, like, a bajillion dollars at the you know throw it at the problem and still have a bajillion dollars left like is there anything we can do as consumers oh my gosh i mean other than just like i guess we all have to delete facebook and the 69 other other companies it already owns yeah so first of all you're exactly right facebook can the question is not can they or can they not they can we know they can the fact that they've been able to keep things like child pornography off their platform very effectively right. illustrates that they they can there is no That's universe there's no universe where they cannot do these things it is a mm-hmm. willingness to take them seriously it is a willingness to do right and so that needs to be clear full stop you know it is very frustrating that like with a lot of these big tech companies there isn't a lot or i'm not going to say there isn't a lot that a, an ordinary user can do uh you know i would say Again, being a responsible, being responsible when you share things and what you share, you know, only sharing things that are accurate and timely and, you know, doing so consistently is important. But I would also say on top of that, just a just a sort of individual cultural reimagining of the role that social media platforms play in our lives and in our relationships. I recognize that especially with COVID and social distancing, that can be really tough because a lot of us are like cooped up in our houses alone and you, you want to keep tabs on your friends. You want to feel like you can connect your, with your friends, but you know, you get to decide the way that Facebook shows up in your everyday life, not Mark Zuckerberg, not anybody else. You, right. I unfortunately need to have Facebook because of my work. <laughs> I can't delete it. I have to have it. It's just the way it is, but I don't have it on my phone. You know, I think of it as like a utility, right? Like PowerPoint. I have to use PowerPoint sometimes for work, but I'm not checking in on a PowerPoint all the time just to see what's up on PowerPoint. No, right? Like I use it like a utility. And so you should, would, it's fun. Yeah. It's it's cool. They got some new transitions in there, some fades, <laughs> things spinning differently, I think. Yeah. What's I'll up with that out. paper clip with eyes? What's he doing these days? <laughs> yeah. Clippy. Was that his name? I think it so. Was. <laughs> Clippy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would just encourage everybody to 
really have a big think about the way that social media platforms show up in your individual lives and taking back ownership of the fact that you control it, not the other way around. And so for a lot of people, maybe that looks like just deleting it from your phone. And so you're going to decide I'm going to check in on Facebook on my browser when I want to, but I don't get notifications popping up on my phone because somebody mm-hmm. told me this or somebody did that. Even if it's something small like that, any small step that you can take to divest from Facebook so that it's not something that is controlling how you spend your time is good. Yeah. freaking love that. And, yeah. and I'll just tack on quickly. If you use it one hour less a day or whatever, that's less money that Facebook makes because less ads are appearing. So like you are actually having a literal, in addition to the the personal mental health benefits that Bridget is is saying here, you're having a meaningful impact. I mean, it's pennies, but it is, if everyone did, if everyone did that, that would be meaningful from, from a dollars and cents point of view. I haven't thought about it like that. I I like that. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Um, something else that you mentioned on There Are No Girls on the Internet, this was a, a random episode I listened to where you talked about this Netflix movie and how everybody was like all up in arms mm. about it. But mm. what I thought was so interesting about your episode without getting too deep into that tangent is that most people decided to have an opinion without having watched the movie. And I think that's such a good like microcosm for what's going on in this macro level where what you were saying earlier, like don't pile a joke on like people are all of us aren't taking the time to really do our own research. I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting that people were like going fucking nuts over this documentary. And it's like, people haven't even watched it. I think that social media has given us this false perception that everybody has to have an opinion or a take on everything at all times, Mm -hmm. always. So you always have to be putting your opinion out into the world and you don't have to. You can just say like, oh, <laughs> you can, you know, shut you up. Yeah. Yes. You can say like, I actually don't know. I was actually talking about this pretty recently with the, um, okay, I'm going to embarrass myself here a little bit, but with the GameStop stocks thing, I will be completely open and honest and say that like, I fully do not understand how fucking stocks work. I could not have told you how stocks work. Like, could not tell you. When the Reddit GameStop thing happened, Overnight, I saw people who I know are in the same boat as me who don't know shit about stocks <laughs> overnight becoming like experts and putting their takes into the world. And I was just thinking yeah. like, what if I told you that it was totally fine to not chime in with your opinion if you don't know what you're talking about, that that is fine. <laughs> and I think that it creates this dynamic where you're just competing with takes and you can't even tell who actually knows what they're talking about and who doesn't anymore. We've just created this idea that like everybody yeah, has a- to be super spewing an opinion at all times there's a complete erosion of expertise exactly and so yeah it's okay to say hey this conversation is happening maybe i'll wait and watch the movie before i weigh in like that's all right (laughs) yeah it seems to me like it's speeding up unfortunately right like january 6th and now there's already conspiracy theories about january 6th like what that's my question huh yeah I worry that it's getting, I, I am hopeful, but I think in the short term, I think that we are watching it get worse, not better. I think that we're watching, you know, I think that I feel like after January 6th, we maybe had a day or two where people were like, wow, we've really let this get out of hand. Like we really need to pull it back and, you know, really have a reckoning about what the truth is and that two plus two is four and the world is, the world is not flat. We really need to like get on the same page. 
that lasted for about a day and i, I feel, feel like, like now that didn't even happen <laughs> this is why i'm so excited about your podcast i it has been it has been depressing to watch to watch how quickly people went went from like ooh, we should think this through to like it never happened and aoc is a liar and actually the insurrectionists were there to give out back rubs and flowers you know like it's uh, really been it's really been something uh, yeah. so i don't blame i don't blame you for feeling a little dismayed but i am hopeful because you know when i was when i was first getting online the folks who were interested in being on the internet were creative iconoclast people who were like doing something different and i still believe that 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 vibe is somewhere in there online. And so I think that those same people, that same like sentiment, that same feeling that drove people to try to connect with each other online in the first place, I think is going to be the same thing that gets us out of this mess. I I am still very hopeful about the future for the internet. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) We really um, appreciate you being here. It's been great speaking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun. So many interesting points from Bridget and about like different things happening on so many different levels. But Ali, I guess I'm curious, are you hopeful at the end of it? Yes. No. no maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think we should make DC a state and then elect Bridget Todd. This is my new, <laughs> this is the new train I'm on. Well, I'm like, yeah, I'm curious, like what would feel hopeful? Because it seems like when we can hone in on the individual action portion of it, that does feel hopeful, right? No, to me, it doesn't. Because for me, <laughs> I'm like these platforms need to, you know what I mean? There's no reason that uh, articles about 5G and COVID and just drink water and have vitamin C, like there's just no reason that completely false information should ever surface on these platforms like it just shouldn't they shouldn't be it, google's algorithms for search shouldn't have them on the uh, they should be on page 3000 i suppose if they're there at all right. like there's just literally no reason that these companies should be allowed to do this i think that we need to do some revisions to section 230 of the communications decency act perhaps <laughs> i just huh? think like there's no reason that they mm-hmm. should they should be held responsible i think mm-hmm or that they shouldn't be rewarded. I'm a little less um, militant about yeah, they it because I think rewarded. I think it's okay for a marketplace of ideas on a plat on an internet to be wide and crazy as long as there is no financial incentive to reward the craziest, clickiest. I mean, it, this is a media right. problem too. It's like the media writes the craziest, click clickiest headlines because the business model is, oh my god, we need traffic or we will die from advertising revenue. And that's what the platform model is too. So again, it's not like we need to stamp out misinformation because someone needs to police it. Like it's unpoliceable, but the problem, the core problem is like the crazy shit is the shit at the top of the Facebook feed or the top of the Google result because people click on it, you know, it is emotional and it is scary and, and, it's the same old problem of in media where you put earthquakes and fires on and terrorism on the front page of the paper because that sells papers when really the things we should be scared of are like, you know, economic policies and heart disease. You know, the things that actually kill us and ruin our lives are not the things that sell, mm-hmm. that click people click on or buy newspapers. So it's, it's that headline problem amplified to 10 billion as as uh, Bridget yeah. was was saying the explosion of of that problem on on the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we as always would like to hear what you all think. Uh, I think there's plenty of food for thought from today's episode. <laughs> so you can tweet at me at Junebugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. Please do. We love getting your emails. We also, as you know by now, love getting your text messages and especially voicemails. If you would like to text or leave us a voicemail, that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And join our Discord server, please. Discord.gg slash 2G1P. We would love to see you there. Um, as you know, we say in every episode, uh, listeners of the show love to go there, sometimes guests and certainly us. So please be there. There's a lively conversation always happening. Allie, if they'd like to contribute, what do they do? Please go to patreon.com slash 2G1P. All right, Truth Warriors. See you next week. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg, then pinned to several prominent mommy blogger Pinterest boards. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. I really can't keep them. I have too many beans already.